This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Well, it's so good to see you this morning, to be together. I just want to say again, if it's your first time or you're visiting or you've not been in a while, then you are very, very welcome here. We give you a really warm welcome. And um, today, as, as Matt just said, we are continuing our series, which is called Jesus First, Every Day Revisited. Now, I hope it's clear from the title, but what we're doing in this series is we're revisiting a series from earlier in the year that looks at how do we put Jesus first in our everyday. Do you think we nailed it with the title? Jesus first, every day revisited. Good, glad to hear it. And the reason that's our series right now is because our vision for this year is Jesus first. It's how and why can we put Jesus first, foremost and central in every area and every moment of our lives. And the reason that's our teaching and our focus this year is because our purpose as a church community is and has been for many, many years to impact our neighbours, our nation, and the nations with the good news about Jesus. Because it is good, isn't it? It's good news that we've got to share and to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, those who put Jesus first. And so last week, we began looking at the area of work, of the work that we do that is both paid and unpaid. We looked at the idea of work as worship. And so in our in life groups this week, I know there were some great discussions around what it means, how we can approach our work as an expression of worship. And so today, I'm really excited to look at another area of life. Anyone excited? Anyone on the edge of their seat to find out what it is? Yes, come on. Well, let's fix our eyes on the screen. Any guesses? Any ABBA fans in the house? You know what, I saw a few people clapping. I'm delighted that we clap more for Jesus than ABBA. But if it comes on again, feel free to clap. So we're not looking at 70s fashion. We're not looking at Swedish pop bands. Today we are talking about how can we put Jesus first when it comes to our finances. And um, I'm excited this morning to talk about money, because for me, I've always been interested in money, even from a young age. I don't know why. I don't know if it's peculiar. But I remember as a child, about 9, 10, 11 years old, I, on a Saturday morning, I would get the Argos catalogue. Anyone else remember that? And you know, you go straight to the back, because that's where the toys are. And I would flick through, and I would choose something that I wanted to buy one day. And then I would go to my piggy bank and I would count how much money I had in my piggy bank and I would write that down. And then I would write down how much the thing I wanted to buy was. Then I'd work out the difference and then I would begin to plot the weeks ahead. 
So how much income I might have in the weeks to come, you know, pocket money, do a few extra jobs around the house to work out how long is it till I can buy the toy that I want on page 396 of the Argos catalogue, which, if we're honest, is never as good as it looks in the catalogue, was it? Because it doesn't come with all like the background and it doesn't transform your bedroom, it's just a bit of plastic. Now, did anyone else do that as a kid? Did you really? Wow. Dan did as well. I, I thought it would be not many people. For some reason, I've always been interested in money. My first job was in accounting, and um, I shouldn't admit that too much, should I? Because you might assume things about me, like I'm not a very exciting person. <laughs> but whilst I, sorry to all my fellow accountants in the house, Um, But whilst I am excited to talk about money this morning, I know that when we talk about money, especially those of us who are British, we get a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I I learned the last time I talked about money on a Sunday morning, when I said money, the room went a bit cold. (laughs) You know, I know that the eye contact goes down. And the crossed arms get a little bit crossed, more crossed. We start to shuffle. So we are going to go there this morning simply because Jesus did. Simply because Jesus did. And it's Jesus first. And it's him who we're trying to learn from. So I'm half sorry if you feel uncomfortable this morning. But we're going to go there because Jesus did. And you know what? If I sense that we're starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable we can take a breath and fix our eyes on the screen. If you are already fed up with that, Give me body language that says you're not uncomfortable, okay? That's what you need to do, because we are going to go there this morning because Jesus did. So it's estimated that around 15% of Jesus' teaching focused on money. That 11 out of 39 of the parables, that's just under a third, looked at the topic of money. And not only that, we see as we look through the whole story of Scripture from the Old Testament into the New, that money, possessions, wealth, giving is a constant theme that develops and unfolds throughout Scripture. So I hope we don't feel too uncomfortable, but we are going to go there. We're going to ask the question, how can we put Jesus first in our finances? And I want to explore three ways. And the first one is to give You might have thought I was expecting that was coming. But I want us to consider what it means to give as an act of devotion. To give as an act of devotion. You see, generosity is intrinsic to God's nature. Generosity is so ingrained and deep-rooted and integral to who God is. You know, we don't have to look far through Scripture to see that. You know, Scripture tells us the riches, it talks about the riches of His grace that He has lavished upon us. It says the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Generosity is so 
core to who God is. It's intrinsic and integral and deep-rooted to who God is. And therefore, as those who were made to bear his image, as we heard last week, as those who were made to reflect his image and his nature and his character here on earth, I would say that generosity should be for us a fundamental characteristic and a consistent practice of every Christian. That because generosity is core to who God is, and because we are called to represent and recreate his image on earth, then generosity should be a a fundamental characteristic for us, for every Christian, and a consistent practice. You know, when, when when I reflect and when I look around this community, when I reflect on the The reality that around 90% of our income as a church community comes from the regular, sacrificial, generous giving of our church community. I'm amazed and I'm humbled. And I look at what we have and I look at what we do at the national, local, international impact. And I think this is funded by us normal people. If we can call ourselves normal, what do you think? incredible, isn't it? By, by people who have, who have adopted the principles that we see develop throughout Scripture of giving a significant portion, often described as a tithe, which means tenth, to the local church community to fund the ministry and to, to resource the vision that goes from this house. And then I look at people who, on top of that, give to kingdom initiatives further afield, People who give to address the the issues of poverty, the injustice of poverty, to bring healing to the broken and the vulnerable, to address issues of modern day slavery and, and food poverty. People who give, who show this generosity because it reflects God's nature. You know, the people who open their homes, who are generous to their friends and their family, who extend hospitality. I am humbled when I look around this community and I see people who get this. And I see people who recognize that generosity is core to who God is. And I'm meant to reflect his nature. So generosity will be a fundamental characteristic and a consistent practice in my life. And I want to thank and honor those people today. (coughs) But as with most things in life, it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. And as we consider what it means to give this morning, I want us to reflect on the idea that we give as an act of devotion, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, not out of fear, but that we give as an expression of love, that we give as an act of devotion of our love for God and his people and his purposes and his plans here on earth. That's that's the how that we should approach giving with, to give as an act of devotion, because that is the example of God, isn't it? Because God so loved this world, he gave. He gave that which was most precious, which cost him the most. He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. The greatest expression of generosity that the world has ever seen was an expression of love from God to humanity. So let us follow in those footsteps when we give. Let us give 
as an act of devotion. In Matthew 6, verse 24, it's going to be on the screen. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. It says you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus talks in this passage about God and money. You can't serve both. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus is helping us to understand that if we are not careful, then money will compete for the position in our lives that belongs to God alone. That money will seek to be first, foremost, and central in our lives if we're not careful. It will try to become our master and win our devotion. So I don't know about you, but that makes me think, well, I want to make sure if there's an option, if there's a, if there's a challenge here, I want to make sure that it's God. I want to make sure that it's Jesus first and foremost. So I'm going to choose God. And if money wants to compete for the position in, in my life that belongs to God alone, surely I should run a million miles away from money. Surely anything that seeks to take that place that belongs to God alone, I should be a million miles away from. That's not how the world works, is it? That's not realistic. I think the way that we approach this, if we're seeking to put God first in our lives, to be on guard against the way that money seeks to encroach in that position is not to ignore money and run from money because that's not realistic, but to use money to solidify God's position as number one in our lives. But to use money to solidify God's position as number one as we give to God and his purposes and his plans and as we do so as an act of devotion, as an expression of love. Because if we choose to make money our master, we'll always be disappointed. As Ecclesiastes says, whoever loves money never has enough. Have you seen that? Have you felt that at times? Whoever has money, loves money, never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Because the position, the primary position of love and affection and devotion in our lives is for God alone. And so when anything else takes that position, whether it's love or anything else, anything else we'd consider as good or bad, it never ends well. It never satisfies because we were created for God to be that position. And actually, when we, when we put anything else in that primary position in our lives, it's actually what the Bible describes as an idol, and I don't know if you spotted it, but in a few of our songs this morning, we talked about, we, you heard the phrase idol. So let us put God as number one in our lives and let that be expressed through our giving as an act of devotion. Let us not run from money, but let us use money to solidify God's position as number one in our lives. It would be an expression of our devotion. How are we doing? Okay, seem to be feeling good. It's good. So first of all, we give as an act of devotion. Secondly, save as an act of defiance. Save as an act of defiance. If you're not sure what on earth I mean, let me explain. You see, there is a powerful force 
at work in our society. There's a powerful force at work in our society and it is so successful that across the world, we spend billions and billions and billions on things we don't want or need. And that powerful force, you might have clocked it, that powerful force is called consumerism. And it's driven by marketing and production. And I don't know about you, but it certainly feels to me like a powerful force. And it's based on putting me first. Putting my wants, my needs, my convenience, my comfort first, foremost, and central. And, and, and with it, I don't know if you've noticed it, but with it comes an urgency. Comes an urgency. You know, the thing I never even knew my life was missing until I saw that compelling advert of horses running through a field. I not only want it, but I want it now. And you know what? The system is set up so wonderfully that I can have it now, even if I don't have the money for it now. By the wonders of consumer credit, I can fill, fulfill my desires and my needs now because of this powerful force called consumerism. You see, here's how scripture from over 2,000 years ago, here's how scripture from over 2,000 years ago speaks into the societal pressures we encounter today when it comes to money. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Instead, be content because God is ever present and he's always with us and he never leaves us. Again, we read that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves giving money our love and our affection and our devotion. And when we do that, we're not free. We're bound and we're captive because we were never designed to give our devotion to money. But in this passage, we also, we read of an alternative. Here's how you can stay, how, here's how you can stay free from the love of money. Choose contentment. Choose contentment with what you have. There is a contentment for us to find. There is a, a fulfillment for us to find in relationship with Jesus that sets us free from that temptation for the love of money that, that silences that voice that says, it's not enough, I need more. I'm not enough. There's got to be something else to fill the gap. When Pete and I first got married, we were working for a missionary organization that at the time didn't, um, didn't provide salaries. So it was what we were doing full time and we were responsible for raising our own funding. And we did that through um, the support uh, of friends and families who believed in what we were doing. And um, our income when we first got married was a joint income of £310 a month. So it was an adventure, let me tell you. And um, for the young people that are listening, it, it wasn't that long ago that 310 pounds was a lot of money. It wasn't a lot of money, okay? And um, it was quite an adventure. Now that I reflect on it, I think we probably weren't actually very good at trying to raise support because we only got as far as 310 pounds a month. 
But it was an adventure and we saw God's faithful provision through his family in so many wonderful ways. And just, just the right, perfect timing and in just such personal and meaningful ways that there was always enough. And then a few years later, our, the organization um, began to give some small salaries, some part-time salaries. And so we were like, whoa, what is this in our bank account every month on the same day? Like, this is amazing. Our eyes have been opened. This is a whole new world. And so whilst it was part-time salaries on relatively low wages, it was more than we'd ever had before. And so we had decisions to make that we hadn't had to make previously because we didn't have the finances to make those decisions about. And I remember shortly after that, we went to visit some friends who had just bought a new TV. And this TV was incredible. It was so big. It had like all the sound features, like the bar and the subwoofer and surround sound, you know, where you jump because the noise comes from behind you. It was super HD. You felt like you were in the movie. And it was amazing. It was like, oh, so happy for you. What a cool TV. And then we got home that night and into the lounge. And I look into the corner of the lounge and see this sorry excuse for a TV sat there. And I'd never noticed it before. There it was, suddenly so inadequate and inferior, like apologizing for its existence in the corner of the lounge. And then some friends of ours got a new car. And it wasn't a fancy car, but it was a family car. And it was shiny, and all the car seats fitted in the back, along the back seat, without a wrestle. And I suddenly started to feel something going on inside. And now, let me explain. I have, there is nothing wrong with buying a new TV or a new car. In the years since, we have replaced our TV. We have replaced our car a few too many times, because I don't think we're very good at choosing cars. This is not about whether buying a TV and a car is a bad thing, because it's not. This is about what I felt going on inside of me when I suddenly had decisions to make that I didn't previously had before. And I began to feel, I recognize I'm experiencing this powerful force called consumerism. This voice that tells me I need bigger and better and faster and smarter and smaller. And so I realized we need to do something because I don't want to spend my life feeling like this force is, is encroaching on our decisions, like there's this pressure. We need to do something to resist that force, to silence that voice, and honestly, to save me from myself. I need to put something in place that saves me from myself. And so we decided to make saving alongside giving a financial priority for us. We decided to make saving alongside giving a financial priority as an act of defiance against this powerful force that controls a lot of what happens in society called consumerism. As a statement that says, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have that voice rule my life. I'm not going to have, have money try and take the top position that belongs in my life to God alone. To recognize that we're refusing to believe that my happiness can be found in the things that I can buy. And Jesus himself said that, didn't he? In Luke 12, 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
That's what I was experiencing in me. Oh, suddenly I've not got one of those. And it was nothing about my friends who were making good choices for their own finances, but it was what it was doing in me. And so as an act of defiance, we decided to make saving alongside giving a priority. Because as Jesus says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Does it? Life is not found in an accumulation or abundance of possessions. And so we decided to make saving a priority. And we, we set out to have some different pots and some of them were short-term, some of them were long-term. And um, some of them, it just, it, the things we were saving for were so massive, it felt almost pathetic that we could only put £10 a month into that pot. But we put that £10 a month into that pot to make a statement of intent that our finances are not just going to be about us and they're not just going to be about now. We're going to make saving alongside giving a priority as an act of defiance that my life will not be controlled by the values of this world and that God is first, foremost and central in every area of our lives. And so one of the saving pots that we told and we created, and they're not real pots, they're just a line on my spreadsheet. Um, But there's this pot, and it's so fun when you get to delve into it. And it's called PFG, which stands for Positioned for Generosity. And so every month, as well as our regular giving, we put a little bit into a saving pot that is for giving. And it just builds up month by month, week by week. And so when we find ourselves in a position that requires generosity, when we see a need around us, we've got a pot that we can delve into. And it is so much fun to be able to bless someone, to celebrate someone. It's such a privilege to be able to meet a need in a time of crisis because we've positioned ourselves to be generous as we've made giving alongside saving, saving alongside giving a priority. I think when it comes to giving and saving, it's easy, isn't it, sometimes to to look at other people and think, well, it's okay for you. We must recognize that whoever we are and wherever we are, that giving and saving is a sacrifice. That giving and saving is a sacrifice because you can't spend money twice. You cannot do a second thing with that money once you've given it or saved it. And so I think it's, it's easy sometimes to look at other people and think, well, it's okay for you. You don't know my situation. I think we must recognize that giving and saving is always a sacrifice. And I think that's really important if we're going to be followers of Jesus. If we're going to seek to walk in the footsteps of the one who gave the ultimate sacrifice. That sacrifice in in our finances becomes like a spiritual discipline. I'm committed to this because I'm walking in the footsteps of the one who walked to the cross and endured the cross. And I would say if you're a young person or a young adult... Here, or I know the, um, the Noise Sundays are watching via the live stream. I hope you are paying attention. I'll test you afterwards, guys. I would highly recommend that you start to build these principles in right from the start. That it's not like, when, when I've got enough money, I'll start to think about that. But that you build these principles in right from the start, and then they become like a pattern that you can build your financial life on. When I was about 14 years old, I did some cleaning once a week and I earned 10 pounds. And 10 pounds wasn't the same as it is today. But I earned 10 pounds. And when I got my 10 pound note on a Saturday, I would always make sure that I broke into it so that on Sunday, when the, when the offering basket came along the row, I had my one pound coin to pop in the basket. 
And I didn't realize then, but, but what I was in fact doing and what I would recommend, you, if you're young people, you're young adults kind of starting out with your financial life, is I was building a pattern that everything else would build upon. That everything else would build upon. And as such, it's been easier than having to introduce those principles later in life. But if you do find yourself today in such a difficult financial situation that the idea of giving and saving just feels like an absolute impossibility, then please reach out for help. Please don't struggle alone. You know, we, um, through Community Grocery, we have food support available. Through CAP, we have money advice and debt management available. Please do not struggle alone. I was um, reading this week that there's still, as Brits, we're just still so uncomfortable talking about money. And that's partly because of the stiff upper lip and all, all that stuff, but it's partly because there is so much shame around financial anxiety. And in this place, there, we would just want to lift that off. If you are struggling so much financially that giving and saving, it just feels like, what on earth? I could never get there. Please ask for help. Please reach out. How are we doing? Is it getting a bit serious? Should we fix our eyes on the screen? Some of you are going to go back at home and watch the whole video, aren't you? Like they just keep cutting it off before the best bit. Well, the third thing I want us to reflect on for just a moment, as we give as an act of devotion, as we save as an act of defiance, and as the band come and join us, let us spend as an act of wisdom. And I know you didn't need to come to church today to be told to spend money, but I want to reflect on the how to spend as an act of wisdom, because if we are going to put Jesus first in our finances... If we are going to put Jesus first in our finances, then our spending needs to be done with the wisdom that comes from God. And there is wisdom available for every area of our lives. And God is available to pour that out. And I think that sometimes some of us may find ourselves holding back areas of our lives from God. Like, God, I give you everything, just not my relationships. Don't ask me to forgive that person. You know, God, I give you everything, but I choose how I do my money. But what it means to follow Jesus with full devotion, what it means to put Jesus first is to submit every area of our lives to God. Even the ones that are harder for us to let go of. Even the ones where we feel a bit uncomfortable and we wish there was an Abba clip in the background. You know, even the ones where it feels like this is painful to let this go. This, this, this hurts. This is, this is a big deal for me to give this over to God. What it means to follow Jesus with full submission is to submit every area of our lives to God, including our finances, including how we spend, and to seek God for that wisdom. And when we do that, when we open our financial life up to God, to his wisdom, it liberates us from that temptation of the love of money. It releases us to give and to save with joy. And just even in this moment, as, um, as the band just begins to play and create some space for us to reflect, I want us to consider how we respond this morning. You know, if you feel like your finances are so out of control, like you get towards payday and you think, where has all that gone? 
How, how do I get there? Then consider these words from the book of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And just in this moment, as we take a few moments to reflect and consider how we respond, I just invite us to, to make the most of this opportunity to engage with God, specifically on the topic of money. So you may want to close your eyes. You may want to, if you're sat with a family member, you may want to pray with them. But I think there's three ways that we can respond this morning. To ask God for wisdom the God who gives generously to all without finding fault. To give your financial anxiety to him, if that is what you are experiencing this morning. The scripture says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Because then the peace of God that transcends all understanding, all earthly wisdom will fill your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So if you're experiencing financial anxiety today, I want to invite you to give that to God. And the third thing to reflect on as we consider how we respond this morning is perhaps you need to decide on an action. From what we've talked about, perhaps you need to decide that from here I'm going to do something. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at lifelanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation, and the nations with the good news about Jesus.